Welcome back to QAV episode 537. We're recording this on Tuesday, the 20th of September, 2.15pm, Brisbane time. How are you this week, TK? I'm good. I'm well. Back from Melbourne. Happy birthday again to Alex. Her birthday over the weekend, you went down. Did you take her to mini golf this time? Huh, no, she, she took me to a funky bar in Fitzroy, which was good fun. By the way, I know, as, as people may know, Alex not only does the checklist for us each week, but transcribes the episodes. And I know she told me when I saw her the other day that she, she finds it very uncomfortable hearing us talk about her on the show. So I just want to say, happy birthday, Alex. You're awesome. We love you. We miss you. You're the greatest. And I hope that's made you blush a lot while you're transcribing this. <laughs> she will be. Okay. Well, that's good. Glad you had a good trip. We got our big TV finally. So the last uh, four or five days for us has just been re-watching The Godfather, Star Wars, <laughs> Marketing the Messiah. First thing I always put on any TV when I have it is like, oh, I wonder what that looks like on this. See if the 4K holds up. You know, Torsten made us spend all this money to film it in 4K. Yeah, I do remember that. Now I have a 4K TV. I thought, oh, I wonder if it was any point in that. It's all right. <laughs> so have you heard from Torsten since Bitcoin's now worth a quarter of what it was last year? <laughs> of course, he's going double down, man. Buy more. <laughs> Invest more. It's going it's to be huge. For listeners out there, Torsten was the uh, one of the producers on our film and also produced a couple of films on Crypto, he's a big crypto guy. He's been trying to tell us that we need to invest in crypto for the last few years. It's all about crypto. But he's German, so, you know, you have to forgive him. So, yeah, that's been our week. Lots of TV. I want a shout out to uh, Phil Muscatello. Poor Phil. Went to Coles, do a bit bit of shopping. Uh, This is from uh, Shares for Beginners podcast and the Australian Shareholders Association podcast. Tony's been guest on Phil's show many times. Yeah, and came out uh, and his car had burnt down his car had caught on fire and just totaled his total his car's just <laughs> disintegrated spontaneously combusted apparently yeah Spont- this skoda was it like darren mcgavin wasn't standing in the background wearing a raincoat was he <laughs> the night darren mcgavin the night stalker remember that there used to be episodes about spontaneous combustion on the night stalker what the hell is the night stalker oh you got a, it was the fox and scully before fox and scully Really? The pre-X-Files, X-Files? Yeah, yeah. So Darren McGavin played this New York reporter who would always, for some reason, happen to come across paranormal stories and, and track them down and would always be sort of just about to expose it and then the evidence would disappear or no one would believe it. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm glad I never watched that and I watched the X-Files instead because if I had watched that, my son would be called Darren <laughs> rather than Fox. So. Darren McGavin was the actor, and it was uh, his name was Kolchak. Oh, right. I think that was the name of the actual TV series, Kolchak the Night Stalker. Well, that's not a bad name, Kolchak. Yeah. I could go with that. It's kind of badass. I used to really enjoy it. It was a good series. Oh, all righty then. Like those TV shows in the 70s, had a great theme song. Start would always be him typing alone by himself at like midnight, and then he just start just all Almost finish a sentence and the theme song would stop and then it would just like be a mysterious noise in the background or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe I've never heard of this. I got to check it out. Uh, anyway, back to Phil Muscatello. Uh, I'm glad no one was hurt. Everyone was okay. And I'm sure his insurance will cover it. I hope his insurance will cover it. Anyway, 
good luck with that, Phil. So the car just the car just burnt. So someone's obviously torched it, have they? Ah, uh, it's it's one of the you know one of the uh, growth investors that he's had <laughs> on his show at some time. I think that he's uh, he's made fun of. <laughs> Don't come and decide this stalking him. Oh no! Torched his cars. Payback. You better your cars your your car better be under lock and key. I hope yeah. in the Sky Palace there, Tony. <laughs> Coming for you next. Oh, well, I shouldn't. I shouldn't laugh. That's that's horrible for Phil. Very sorry for Phil. Mind you, he lives in Balmain, so I'm surprised he needs a car. He can just pretty much walk everywhere over there. A great part of Sydney. But that's uh, that's really sad. Yeah, yeah. I hope he, I hope he didn't lose any valuable items in the car, like any irreplaceable things. But no one was hurt, so that's the most important thing. Always. I saw this article in the Finn. Well, the other day, Tony, the small cap fundy crashing the bears picnic, fundy called LSN, and I just got this quote out of it that I thought was interesting. Another key factor in LSN's process is investing in founder-led businesses or companies where management has significant equity stakes. About 60% of the fund possess those attributes. When you have founders looking to grow their business and grow their share in the industry they operate in, they respect their capital base and they don't look for growth for growth's sake, Sladen says. Instead, they look to generate a strong return on capital, which allows a business to self-fund its future growth and return capital via dividends or buybacks to shareholders in due course. Thought that sounds familiar? Oh, definitely. I mean, it's not an original concept for me um, for, you know, by any means, but um, definitely concur with that. It's I mean, uh, the more you, you sort of invest in the markets, the more you know that there are companies that manage for the short term and companies that manage for the long term, and it's the ones who manage for the long term that do better in the long term. And they tend to be run by the founders who just uh, have the large enough stake in the company and the history to be able to tell the the analysts and the fund managers um, and the industry to just take a hike. They're going to do things that you know, are good for the long term. As opposed to CEO for hire is in for 18 months or two years and just looking to get their bonus and their stock options. Well, it's not just that, but it's it's that's part of it. But it's it's a more of a political game for those people. Where if they put any of the fundies offside and they're a shareholder, they're not going to stick around. They're going to lose, you know, the whole. It's a house of cards, really. I mean, it's it's so political to, to get into that role. You've got to be. You've got to prove yourself for, for sure, but that's an that's only one element of it. But then you've got to have the support of the board, and the board tends to, you know, again, it's political as well. It's it's you've got to you just got to keep scratching backs, right? If you're not if you haven't grown up with the company, you're beholden when you get that job to other people, whether it's um, the stockholders, which tend to be the large funds, or whether it's the you know the board who gave you the job, and then the board who gives you the pay rise every year. So uh, yeah, you, you, they do tend to have a short term approach to things to, to just keep appeasing the people who put them there. What was that uh, femme punk band in the 90s? Skunk and Nancy. Remember Skunk and Nancy? No, I don't. I haven't heard of them. Oh. Skunk. Sid and Nancy. Yeah, well, I think that's it's sort of a reference on that. But they had a song, I think it's called, oh, yes, it's effing political. There were the the lyrics for it. Yes, it's effing political. Everything's political. Always like that song. People say, you know, you're getting political, and I was like, oh, everything's political. Yeah, I agree. It's all about people, right? When you have, you have more than one person, things are political. Oh, good lyrics. Anyway, I won't get into. I'll get into trouble if I read those. I'm in enough trouble. Thanks to Reg, 
QAV Club member Reg for giving me a hard time constantly about the Royals on Facebook over the last week. He's trying to get a rise out of me every day, telling me to go watch the Royal Funeral or something. I turned on. I took a lunch break today. You know, went to the kitchen, made some lunch, sat down in front of the big TV, thought I'll see what's on the ABC. Turn it straight off. Yeah. <laughs> know. Our taxes like, are terrible. It's how long's it been? Like a week and a half? And still. I know. Complete wall-to-wall coverage. Are you kidding me? Have you seen the Finn review today? Yeah, yeah, I have. I went to two news agents because I walked into the first one and could, I thought to myself, oh, they've sold out the Finn reviews. Then I go to the second one and, and I realised, no, that Finn review with the big picture of the Queen's funeral is actually the Finn review. Just not, the Herald not Sun. The, not the Herald Sun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just, oh, I'm just appalled. Anyway. And then there was, oh, just last thing on that, so I was watching the ABC News this morning, and they had a they had a piece on how long the Queen's funeral went for, and how terrific it was. The royal family had stood up, you know, st- stayed on the job for ten or twelve hours straight. And I was thinking to myself, <laughs> I mean, how many poor buggers do twelve hour shifts to make ends meet these days? As if as if the royal family deserves any extra kudos for sitting in a procession for twelve. Well, are they going to ask for double time or something? Give me a break. <laughs> Until they've worked all year, and that's not really work. Yeah. Oh, it's the selfless service, Tony. It's just all part of the selfless service they give. <laughs> all right, back to stocks. Uh, I know I've asked you this question before, but I'm going to ask it again because it's relevant and I uh, couldn't readily find the answer. Actually, I started to look for the answer and then ended up building a whole new knowledge base page on the website to help me find answers like this in the future. But when a stock goes <laughs> – when a stock – We've talked about these uh, procrastinators before. <laughs> <laughs> these so-called work workflow helps that end up taking longer to, to code than they help. <laughs> well, I coded it in the end. I think it will be helpful for me and everyone else. But anyway, the question is, when do we sell a stock that's gone dividend? If it's still below water after dividend has been paid, do we do it on the payment date? or the day after the payment date? Good question. I do it the day after. Okay. Well, because YAL and SSG both have the payment date today, and when I did my alerts this morning, they were both okay. They were both above the fudged or factored sell line if I included the dividend, but the payment date was today. So if they don't recover by, in YAL's case, $0.52, by tomorrow, I'm going to have to sell it. I don't know what the SSG one was. Big dividend for YAL, though, 52 cents. Yeah. Well, it was until the share price dropped by more than that. So, yeah, it's not so great. But anyway, <laughs> we'll see if it rebounds. So just the yeah. next day after the payment date. Oh, look, that's what I do. I mean, uh, that's just on the basis that you know, the dividend statement arrived today, but it, I don't know if the cash has. And... So I always check it the day after. Okay. Give it 24 hours to cycle. Just a note for people, uh, Brett Fisher mentioned in Facebook that he contacted Stock Doctor Support about why BSL, EVN, HLS, MCP, OMH and ZIM, well, the alphabet stocks, still don't have updated results. Their response was the development team has placed a fix and is currently being tested. They had to release the update next week. I think that was... Maybe over the weekend he posted that or something. So 
if you're having problems with uh, companies don't, not having updated results in Stock Doctor, uh, let Stock Doctor know and let us know on Facebook too because that was helpful. Thanks, Brett, for posting that. I think uh, Chris Stratton added some more companies to that list in the Facebook group as well. Yeah, and Stock Doctor can take a while to release uh, numbers at the end of the reporting season, but it tends to be the small cap companies, the really small ones. So if they're not doing it for the large ones, there possibly is a, a patch they need to put in. Don't get much larger than BSL. Correct. Okay, getting to the updates section. Most important update, Ralph Macchio is still 60. <laughs> still looking 45 with more episodes of Cobra Kai and uh, don't know how he does it. Portfolio is doing okay, the DP. It's up, still up a couple of points. Not much change from last week, despite the market having a horrible week, like crashed again and I think Wednesday last week and didn't recover. Recovered maybe a bit today, I think, Tuesday, but um, it's been rough. But the portfolio is still hanging in there, a couple of points up for the financial year. So we're only a couple of months into that. Not, you know, the, the all odds is way above it or the ASX 200, but Still, where uh, I think I looked this morning when I was doing the club newsletter, uh, since inception, the dummy portfolio is performing 2.9 times better than the ASX 200. So, as our benchmark, so looking good there, which is better than well, last week it was two and a half times, now it's 2.9 times. It goes up and down, but you know, so it's doing good since inception, holding, holding our own. Yeah, Navex just sends me a weekly report on our dummy portfolio and it's saying it's up 0.95% for the week, which is good given the um, all odds went down, as you said. And the two biggest movers, one up, one down, PWR was up 20% and Yankol, as you said, was down nearly 12%, 11.8%. Mm, which I assume is just the dividend coming out. Yeah, it would be. So there you go. All right, what do you got on your things to talk about, Tony? Yeah, a couple of things. Uh, I mean, just on performance, it's a really strange thing, but every year around this time, I start to get a little nervous because September and October, and particularly October, is kind of the witching month for the market. And every every sort of major crash since the Great Depression has happened in October. So it's always a bit nervous going into this time of year when the market starts to go backwards. But it doesn't change anything that I still do what I do and don't change the system. But it just is kind of strange that this happens and whether it's there's a whole heap of theories about this, whether it's people coming back off the northern hemisphere holidays and going back into the office and working a full week rather than being on summer holidays and starting to look at their portfolios and readjust. There's a thing in the US anyway where there's um, a lot of options cycle through month end and they get closed out and then reboard again the next day. That sometimes happens in October. Uh, someone tried to say it was the midterm elections, which happen every two years. I'm not sure what causes this, um, I guess, additional risk in this time of year, but it just seems to be a thing. Nothing we can do about it. There's some analysis to say that I've seen that September is the worst month, but you know, one of them has to be. So I'm not going to say we should sell out in August and come back a bit later, but uh, September has been the worst performing month over time, and October has been the month that where most of the crashes occur. But you know, we've probably only had four big crashes in the last hundred years. So if you're out of the market in October because you're worried about a crash, then you're going to miss out on the rest of the years where it has performed. So not much more I can say or do about it, but I'm always a bit nervous going into uh, into October. I guess on the on the 
sort of other side of, of things, what's happening in the macro world is that it's also a little concerning. It gets looks to me less and less like we're going to avoid or get any sort of soft landing. Yeah, getting back to the uh, to the macro, other macro comments, the RBA governor looks like he strikes me as someone under pressure and he is under pressure. I've seen a couple of YouTube videos now where he's spoken recently and he he almost growling. He's he's just uh, <laughs> he's a bit like Gollum on on Game of Thrones and his precious interest rates. And uh, he's, he just looks like he's under a tremendous amount of stress. And it could just be the stress of there's a review of the RBA going on. There's been people howling for his resignation since he said interest rates wouldn't rise this year. And they have a couple of times already. Or it could just be the stress knowing that putting interest rates up hurts the economy. But it it is a I think it's a shortfall of the RBA, and I'm pretty sure this won't be addressed by the review. But if your only lever is interest rates to to bring the economy back to the inflation range you want, then, you know, it's like every every problem is a nail if you only have a hammer. And personally, I don't think interest rates is going to solve this one. I think when the Ukraine war is causing energy prices to increase, when supply chain problems are causing uh, house construction costs, for example, to increase, uh, when staff being away from, you know, because of COVID reasons is causing wages to, to start to rise as people try and attract people to their businesses with sign-on bonuses, et cetera, because they can't get all their staff back. None of those are solved by interest rates. And so interest rates, I think, just adds to the problem even though putting up interest rates will inevitably cause inflation to come down because it will crash the economy. So there's a lot of imperfect solutions going on. A lot of people in key positions under pressure. I just don't have any confidence that this is going to end. But again, that's a prediction and we don't act on predictions. I guess it's just where my mind is at the moment. We're heading into September. We're in September, heading into October. Oftentimes not great months for the share market. Interest rates are likely to go up in the States again this week and possibly um, here uh, at the start of next month. And, uh, yeah, I, I just don't know if that's the answer. And I guess the other issue that I'm sort of grappling with is that, particularly in the States, I mean, to, to alleviate pressure, and in the UK, to alleviate pressure on things like high energy prices, the government's pouring money again into people's pockets. And that caused the whole problem in the first place with inflation as well because, you know, the um, – Hindsight's a wonderful thing, but perhaps the interest rates were cut too low during the COVID pandemic, and now they're trying to scramble to get back on top of inflation. And, and as someone pointed out recently, inflation is always caused by increasing money, money supply in the economy, which is what we had a lot of during COVID. And now, you know, interest rates might be the way to solve that traditionally, but when inflation is being is a supply problem rather than a demand problem, I don't think it will. So I'm not confident about the economy going forward or where the share market is going to end up. But that's all by the by. They're just uh, thoughts and predictions. We'll keep doing what we do. But I I guess I would caution people if they have any sort of um, exposure to risk at the moment to wind that back. And by that, I mean um, margin loans or uh, any other sort of borrowing that they might have taken on when interest rates were good to invest in the market. Just be a bit careful. Well, but... You know, the MMT people told us this wouldn't happen, Tony. It was fine. We can issue as much cash as we want. It's all good. It's modern, Tony. Modern. This time it's different. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, and they're, they're now arguing it doesn't it doesn't work when inflation's happening. So that's kind of like the get out of jail pass at the moment. But I agree with you. It was 
when we drilled down with those interviews we did, I could never get past how does the Reserve Bank print money and it not affect the economy without spreading pixie dust on the printing presses, and no one could ever really explain that to us. So, I- Well, maybe it wasn't the printing of the money that caused the problem, as you say. It's all of these other macroeconomic factors, wars, trades, COVIDs, all that kind of stuff that's doing it, and not the, the money that they tipped into the bucket. Yeah, possibly, but I think it's all it's all probably in the concoction that's causing the problem. But typically, that's the that's the way the economies run. They they pour money into the economy when when we're in through what looked like it was going to be a recession, like COVID or the GFC. When that has uh, taken hold, and they raise interest rates to balance things back again. So that's that's the one dimensional approach to the economy. But we've got a multi dimensional problem now because of all the other things that are going on too. So anyway. Not a great economic backdrop, I don't think, at the moment. So I'll just keep being diligent. A couple of other things to report. I know I was asked a question a month or so ago about ETFs and licks and why they weren't on the buy list. And you know, we, we gave the answer then about ETFs that the operating cash flow really uh, reflected the amount of funds being put into the ETFs or taken out rather than the underlying business that they were operating. I wasn't as strong on the lick side of things because they uh, operating cash flow does actually reflect more dividends paid and when they sell things that their their income from sales that kind of thing. But uh, I did do a bit more of a deep dive into licks to see if we should add them back, and I don't think we should. And that's on the basis that I did find some examples where operating cash flow uh, was negative, which meant that uh, in the case of those licks that they had costs or whatever kinds of costs and LICs typically have costs like bonuses to the managers and share trading, et cetera. So they've had negative operating cash flow, but they haven't had enough dividends from the companies that they've invested in to, for example, pay a dividend. Uh, And they've actually operated at a loss, although operating at a loss for a lick doesn't really mean a whole heap because if they've got the cash reserves to pay the dividend and they've sold things at a loss or they've haven't received enough dividends to cover that, they can still do that out of reserves and run an operating loss. However, the portfolio may have gained considerably on paper. So the lick might be in a very strong position, but it does record negative operating cash flow because, for example, they paid fees to the manager and dividends to their uh, investors, and they haven't received enough operating profit from sales or dividends to cover that. So it's again, it's a bit of a strange example of, of a I'm trying to use operating cash flow to gauge the strength of a business. So I'm going to keep licks off the buy list because of that. And then a few other things. Renko charts I've been looking at quite a bit this week. They do seem helpful in predicting when something that's gone up a lot is turning down. And they seem to be less volatile than trying to draw sharper or steeper sell lines on our three-point trend line charts. So that seems to be good. But I am Still uh, playing around with the charts in Stock Doctor. Brett from the Brett Later pointed out uh, to me during the week that when you click on the pencil, so if you go into Renko, the drop-down box to select what type of chart, whether it's a line or a bar chart or a Renko chart, there's a little pencil. And if you click on that, it allows you to select uh, auto, which draws the bricks in the Renko chart uh, according to mathematics, or you can put your own brick size in. And so you need to select auto as the default. I've also found a couple of other things which are a bit puzzling. So I've adopted the process so far of, of clicking on the Renko chart, selecting auto, doing the Renko chart, 
for the longest time period and then doing it for five years because a couple of times I've refreshed the Renko charts and Stock Doctor and had some strange results. So just be careful of that. Just make sure that um, if you're doing it to double check it and make sure it makes sense before you make any investment decisions based on Renko charts and Stock Doctor. Right. Do you, you think you're at a point yet where we can put wording in the Bible about Renko or do you want to wait a bit? No, I think I'm a long way off changing the Bible. I think we need to do what I'm doing, which is to run a few things on paper in parallel and just see whether they perform better than doing. Cool. What else? Um, I have been picking up some more stock codes which aren't in my master spreadsheet, so they need to be added to the manually entered data sheet. Three of those I picked up during the week, TLC, DRR, and PLS. They need to be added. None of them made the buy list after they added them, but they are new large cap stocks that haven't been around for a while. So I did add them in case they become important later on and, and qualify for the buy list. So they're now added. New IPOs that are large cap stocks? Uh, relatively new, yeah, probably in the last six to 12 months. Oh, okay. Well, you know, Andrew Flipman gave us a process for the users of the AF sheet, which we're supposed to do once a month or so, where we download all the new companies. Oh, there's a there's a filter in Stock Doctor that you run, and it gives you a list of all the companies that have IPO'd in the last, you know, whatever time frame you want to set, and then you just throw those into the sheet and, yeah, manual entry data in his sheet. It's a good system. That would certainly help with mine, but there's also the other complication that when I do a download, I'm just pulling companies with positive operating cash flow. So there can be something which has been around for a while, but then just goes positive for the first time. So that's also something that can mean that we'll have a new company downloaded which doesn't have manually entered data. Yeah. The way his works is you update the manually entered data tab on the AF sheet with the new stock codes. And so then it, it's got them there. If they turn up in the checklist, positive cash flow, they, they're already in the manually entered data sheet ready to go. So is it a complete download of all stock codes? No, it's you, you, you run it uh, from memory. I haven't done this for a month or so, but you run it. And Andrew made a little video for us too, which I have to watch every time I do it to remember what he said. But <laughs> there, I've got a filter set up that he, he tells us how to do it in Stock Doctor, a separate filter that just grabs the stock codes for companies that have newly that are newly listed in the last you know 30 days or 60 days, whatever. Then you just copy that and stick it into the manually entered data tab, I think, and it auto-populates the rest of the fields, you know, gets ready for you to enter manually into data into the fields. So when you do your download, those stocks are automatically in the manual tab ready for inputs, manual inputs. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, Andrew's much better at Excel than I am. So um, I guess he started off doing a stock code, a download of all stock codes and putting it in and then just runs updates on a monthly basis. Yes. Okay, because what I'm saying is if he didn't, if he did it the way I did it, which is just to start at the point of time with all the ones that we've downloaded to have positive operating cash flow, if you just download oh, the updates of new IPOs, yeah. something could have been around for a while, um, which has now got a positive operating cash flow and you'll miss it. So it's not newly listed, but hasn't turned yeah. up previously. I see what you mean. Yeah, I don't know. Andrew, if you're listening to this, let me know if you did that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he has. Yeah, mine's a bit more clunky. So I, I, from time to time, like once every six months or after reporting season, just uh, compare what's been downloaded from Stock Doctor with what's in the manual data sheet. Well, you could just do a download of all of the stocks 
in the ASX and drop them into your manual into data tab and they'd all be there, right? Yeah, but then you've got to take the data that you've already added in the past and try and match it up. So, yeah, Nandra's written some kind of macro to do that, which I haven't done. Oh, got. yeah, 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 yeah. It's a pain in the ass. Hate Excel. Ugh. <laughs> anyway, so I, I've just been doing it manually myself over the years, and those three I just uh, haven't been part of my manually entered data sheet. So just add those. Actually, I'll tell you what. No, so another way to do this. Actually, so because I do this every week when I'm doing my uh, trading stuff. So you create a tab in Excel, you download the complete list of all codes, you drop it into column A, you grab all the stock codes out of your badly entered data sheet that, co- that already exists, and you drop that, you copy that and drop that into column B. Then you do a find duplicates in there. Uh, you find duplicates, you color the duplicates, you sort. So it'll show you in these two tabs all the ones that don't already exist in your manually integrated tab. They won't be the duplicates. They'll be the uniques when you sort it. You just grab that, drop, copy and paste those back into your manual data tab. Boom, they're the ones that don't exist. Done, son. See, I'm becoming an Excel guru. I'm Sign up to my new Excel course. Cameron <laughs> does Excel. You're going to love it. Kung Fu Excel with Cameron. Yeah, and I'm doing it all in Italian too. So. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, I do something similar. I, I just don't go to that find duplicate stage. I just drop the download, drop the stock code column from the download, drop the stock code column from the manually into data, sort them both alphabetically and just go through manually and look at the differences. But do you drop the monkey, Tony? No. Uh, drop that the pilot? Mean. No, what was <laughs> some 80s no, song I'm thinking of? Shock the monkey. This wasn't Drop the Monkey. It was Shock the Monkey, Peter Gabriel. That's a different song. I know. No, there's Shock the Monkey and then there's Drop the Monkey. That was Joan Armour Trading, wasn't it? No, Drop the Pilot was Joan Armour Trading. Shock the Monkey was Peter Gabriel. (laughs) I was thinking it was a Drop the Monkey there, but, you know, my brain's joining dots that don't exist. All right, (laughs) let's get going. So I, I do that every now and then. And the last thing I've got to talk about is I just want any listeners out there who are satisfied with their brokerage account, I want to convert the dummy portfolio into something with real money. So I've had some advice some feedback from someone in the industry, a fund manager who said that running a dummy portfolio using without having money behind it isn't respected in the industry and that we should just put some money into a, a fund and then use that as a dummy portfolio. But we really want to do it as a one-stop shop so we're not fiddling it with it. So I need a recommendation from someone, whether it's Comsec or Retrade or something similar, on a service that also does the portfolio reporting, handles um, cash balances. As you know, we go to cash from time to time and dividends get paid, etc. And um, yeah, satisfied with and it works well. And I'll set up a dummy portfolio using real money. And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week, runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many questions we get. It's where Tony answers questions from our club members. If you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a QAV club member, which is access to the checklist and 
and the Bible and uh, the private Facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have, invites to the dinners, Zoom calls, etc., etc. Sign up for the two-week free trial and check out all that stuff out. You can do that at qavpodcast.com.au. Look for the um, free trial button there. And if you uh, like the idea of value investing QAV style but don't feel like you have the time or resources to uh, you know, learn how to do QAV for yourself, think about signing up for QAV Lite. That's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week. And then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio and if they become a sell, we email our QAV Lite members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Check that out too. Um, it's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus and then where are you? But, uh, you know, while he's not, <laughs> we can do this. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au slash light, L-I-G-H-T. That's it. Um, if you don't want to sign up to any of those, just keep listening to the free episodes. And if you have any questions, uh, shoot me an email. you find that on our website too. All right, have a great week and good luck with your investing. The QAV Podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129271. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions.